0: Hi, Madonna, Louise, Veronica Ciccone here. When will you understand that I am a person and not a thing? Look it up. Do something else. Do my eyebrows.
1: Better to say, am
0: I being true to myself? And is this what I want to say? And have I expressed myself the way I want to express myself? I mean, that's what it's all about. Hey, everyone. This is Lucy O'Brien, and you're listening to MLBC, the Madonna podcast.
2: Hey guys, it's Tony, and I am sorry to say that August is like the Sunday of summer, right? Yes,
1: true, I know. <laughs> we're we're going to hold on to summer as long as we can. <laughs> hey everybody, it's Stefan. Welcome to another episode of MLVC, the Madonna podcast. Your place for all things Madonna, Louise, Veronica, Chaconian. and... Today on the show, we are so happy to welcome author Lucy O'Brien to the podcast. Welcome, Lucy. Hello. Welcome, Lucy.
0: Hi. Hi. I'm really, really pleased to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
2: Well, we're so happy to have you. How is everything going in London these days?
0: Oh, um, well, we had quote-unquote Freedom Day um, last hey. month. <laughs> well, we, were very, we were very nervous about what that might mean and whether there <laughs> might be a sudden rise in infection rates. Uh, but so far, it doesn't seem too bad, thank goodness. And I think that's probably because a large proportion of us have had our double jabs. Good, uh, good. Right down to my son, who is 19 years old and is very proudly going for his second vaccine. So. Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Good. Yes. Well, that has helped, kind of um, opening things up, definitely.
1: Just in time for all of the restrictions, I saw that uh, London has opened its doors; that we can now come and we don't have to quarantine if we want to visit Big Ben.
0: Yeah, yeah. Come and see Big Ben, and you can wander along the South Bank, and um, you can sit in a pub, and yeah, all those all those things that we like to do. Yeah, oh, we're gonna. I
1: think good. I want to. I want to stalk Melda Stanton on the set of The Crown.
0: she's great aren't they filming um, the next series at the moment yeah yeah no I absolutely love that um, uh, show I mean we watch it religiously it's so good and um, uh, it makes me laugh when the producers say oh well it's you know it's just kind of dramatised fiction and you think it's not really is it no
1: (laughs) (laughs) they just say that to protect the royals
0: Of course, of course. But it's, it's kind of wicked, but it's, it's really well observed. And, mm. um, you know, it's actually an old friend of mine from university, um, Peter, who, who actually writes the script. Um, oh, wow. And nice. um, I think, you know, he's very down to earth and I, and I can imagine him taking that view um, when he was working on the script, Is let's make these people human, let's mm-hmm. make them relatable. And that's how it really works. Yeah.
2: Well, before we go any further, I'm going to give Lucy a proper introduction, if you don't mind. All right. Dr. Lucy O'Brien is a writer, academic, and broadcaster. She's the author of Madonna Like an Icon, which has been translated into 13 languages and just recently was uh, published as a, with an update. Dusty, the classic biography about Dusty Springfield also is one of her works. In 2020, she co-authored the Amazon bestseller, It Takes Blood and Guts with Skin, uh, from Skunk and Nancy. And I need to get myself a copy of that because... I love them. Um, and she also published a special 25th anniversary edition of her book, She Bop, The Definitive History of Women in Popular Music. She's currently working on a major biography of Karen Carpenter, which is out in 2023. And we can't I wait. I cannot for that. wait for that.
0: Ooh, <laughs> also,
2: she's the course leader for MA Music industry management and artist development at the University of West London. So she will school you. And she also (laughs) writes for numerous titles, including Mojo, The Sunday Times, and The Guardian, and um, countless publications. Welcome, Lucy.
1: (laughs)
0: Welcome. I know
1: I was, before we dive into Madonna, I just have to say, Tony and I were like salivating over the fact that you were writing about Karen Carpenter. Like, love Karen Carpenter. She's just such a, gone too soon.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and I really wanted to um, celebrate her life. Um, you know, the, the, the dominant narrative for so long has, has portrayed her as a, a very, mm-hmm. very sad victim, and while, you know, that's absolutely true and I want to look at, you know, mental health issues and eating disorders, I also want to look at what she achieved uh, as a musician and as a fantastic drummer um, mm-hmm. and um, her vocal expertise, and I also want to do, kind of what I've, I've done with Dusty and also with Madonna, like uh, be almost fly on the wall in the studio and get a sentence. Mm-hmm. How did she work, you know, day to day? Um, uh because she did she was involved in the arrangements and the production even though um richard is given so much credit she did an awful lot as well she was there 24 7 with him um so that's that's what i'm kind of exploring that's, right now. A, that's your
2: sneak peek listeners that's your sneak peek. What's, what's forthcoming <laughs> it's
0: <an> exclusive actually <laughs> well,
2: yeah. no that that's great and i know that uh karen carpenter has been very influential to you know a lot of vocalists working today including madonna i mean you can yeah. hear Hear that influence in many of her ballads and, and, you know The biggest standout for me would be Rain When the first time I heard Rain, I was like, oh my god She's been listening to the Carpenters
1: Yeah, yeah <laughs> Oh, see, I always thought the uh, most recent Madonna song uh, That would be compared to Karen Carpenter would be Madonna's Ghost Town. When I heard Ghost Town for the first time, I was like, this is Karen Carpenter. Like, this is how Karen... Like, if you you put Karen Carpenter's voice on Ghost Town, I mean, it would be the same thing. It's... uh... It's
0: that intense um, melody. And I've always thought Madonna has a real gift for melody. Um, Mm -hmm. Similar to um, Karen Carpenter, very pure um, sensibility. um, And also a way of... um, uh I mean Madonna has a fantastic way with humming <laughs> and that was yes. one of, of Karen Carpenter creating um this real smooth um, kind of quite resonant sound um and and also real clarity and I think you know Madonna has said that she she was inspired by Karen Carpenter in the way that she sang
2: Yeah there's an interesting pairing if you want to uh take a listen and uh, the Carpenters had an album in nineteen seventy-eight called Passage and they covered Don't Cry for Me, Argentina. So listen to that and listen to Madonna's version and you'll see oh. how it's more similar than not. Interesting. Wow. See, Lucy, even I learned things on this podcast. Yes. Thank
0: you. <laughs> see, immediately we've finished, I'm going to go and run and, 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 and look that up and uh, Oh it's Yeah, uh, pa- no, yeah just for
2: the record, Passage is my favorite. Um it's my favorite Carpenters album. It's very experimental. That's where they did the um, Calling yes. Occupants, you but know, among other songs. too.
0: I think they yeah. were going into really interesting territory there. Really mm-hmm. interesting territory. And, and actually, you know, well, I put, I'm, I'm giving away little secrets here, but Karen <laughs> was actually instinctively more of an experimentalist than um, Richard. And, um, you know, there's a few nice little few stories um, I've been uncovering about... You know, she had quite a conceptual approach um, to the music, and and you know, had she survived, I think she would have she would have gone on to explore that a lot more, and and as a solo artist too.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, well, we could talk about Karen Carpenter for the rest of my life, yeah. but <laughs> let's talk about the, the lady of the moment, Madonna. Uh, Lu- Lucy, you wrote the definitive biography about Miss Ciccone titled "Madonna: Like an Icon." Uh, it explores the complex personality, the legendary drive that has made Madonna the most famous female pop artist of our time. What motivated you to to begin this this process?
0: Gosh, well, it kind of goes back to about 2007. Uh, She was approaching her 50th birthday, and um, I thought, actually, this is a good time to really properly give her the biography she deserves. Um, I'd always been a Madonna fan, you know, right from the early 80s when she first emerged. And um, I'd always followed her career. I'd always gone to her her concerts, um, always listened to the albums, took note of the videos. And I was just kind of waiting for the right time, really. And I I felt that all the biographies up to that point had really um, focused on the more sensational aspects of her life and her career Mm -hmm. and her relationships and sex and Drama. scandal yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, i felt that had been kind of covered and overcovered if you like um and i really wanted to know that i had questions as a music writer i really want to know about her as a musician and an artist because um she uh has fantastic albums a real strong narrative art to each album um along with the whole visual concept and um you, you know, people ri- wrote her off and, and as as someone with m- m- uh, medium talent. Was it you know the famous phrase Minnie Mouse on helium? Um, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was just really disparaging, and I thought no, actually, there's a lot more to her, um, and I really want to do this it's something I love you know it's that for me it's the equivalent of being nosy and looking in people's front windows is I like to um get into the studio and kind of be like a fly on the wall so I talk to musicians and producers and collaborators and get a real sense of um I did it with Dusty I did it with Annie Lennox and um and I took the same approach with Madonna I I talked to people who on all of those albums, you know, and t- like take me through the sessions. What was it like? What was she like? Um, and the same with the shows, um, talking to choreographers, talking to um, dancers, you know, how did she rehearse? What, how did she come up with the ideas? Um, and then piece by piece you're kind of building this, this picture, this kind of mosaic of who the real working artist is. You know, behind these, 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 this amazing work.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's funny you put it together and you say it like that. Is that's sort of how Tony and I feel what we're doing with the podcast. You know, when we had started the podcast, yes. we thought, okay, let's talk about her. But then at the same time, we thought, well, there's all these people who have been involved with her career throughout the years, <laughs> and who have yeah. helped make the the behemoth known as madonna and we thought well wouldn't it be fun to sort of share their stories here sure. from those people who work yeah. directly with her on these shows or on these videos mm-hmm. you know make these productions that have become such indelible parts of fans lives and you do you sort of get background on madonna and what her artistic process is like by hearing their stories. And I think that's, you know, why we find it so fascinating to invite people on the show.
0: Interesting. As you say it, I'm kind of thinking, and you're in New York, are not you? So I'm thinking, you know, one of her big influences was Andy Warhol. And, Mm -hmm. and, the factory and the way he used pop art and she's kind of called herself you know a pop artist or you know she's kind of doing she says she's sort of doing installations and a lot of the people she hung out with in New York in the early days were artists and uh, uh, as well as musicians and I Mm -hmm. think she takes that approach to her work kind of like it's similar to the way Warhol did with the factory. It's like gathering creative people from different, you know, whether it's from film or whether it's um, from music or club nights, um, dance, and and quite magpie-like, just sort of assembling it all together um, with her own vision. Um, I think people say she she uh, is it, it relies a lot on other people, but I think what she does is she synthesizes it all. You know, and after all, that's what an artist does.
2: Yeah. No, I I totally agree with that because, you know, Andy Warhol famously created, you know, and this word is in quotes, superstars, you know, just literally by looking at them and saying, you're a superstar. But I think in Madonna's circle, in her orbit, you know, she had these incredibly talented artists of every discipline, you know, and I'm thinking Debbie Mazar, Shep Pettibone, William Orbit, all these people that, you know, had their own thing going, but because they you know, circulated in her orbit. Suddenly, they became superstars, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: absolutely, definitely.
1: And so, in your book, you—I I love that you organized the biography into three sections: you, you, baptism, confession, and absolution. So, what about Madonna's life prompted you to organize the book that way? I, um, I, I was, you know
0: so i I, because
1: i thought it was i thought it was a very madonna way of organizing a book about her you know
0: it's kind of tongue-in-cheek um Mm. because she's very tongue-in-cheek and um it was my lovely husband malcolm who actually helped me come up with the title like an icon because i thought oh you've got you know like a virgin like a prayer like an icon Mm -hmm. Um, and um and then you know it's kind of tickled me because I'm a—I was brought up a good Irish Catholic girl and went to a convent school, so I guess a lot of her imagery and her metaphor, and um, and it just felt right because she actually draws on a lot of Catholic liturgy and language um, in her work. Um, so I just thought baptism—you know—that's that's. that's when you're given admission into the church, and I think in a way this is her being admitted into the music industry, you know, those mm-hmm, early yeah. chapters that time in New York and then those early albums. Um, and then the the section Confession um, was really um, where she was exploring that dichotomy between saint and sinner. Virgin Mm -hmm. and a War, and how she was getting punished, really, for being um, so outspoken in terms of her her sexuality. And also um, in um, supporting LGBT um, sexuality as well, being really open about that before a lot of artists were brave enough to do that. Um, And then um, the final section, Absolution, Uh, kind of with Ray of Light, there was a sense of transcendence and then motherhood and shifting of priorities and and kind of changing um her focus. Um, so there was a sense that she was she'd been absolved of her sins
2: (laughs) because she got
0: married and she she had a child, and um, but then as we all know, she went into another phase, which is which is the last phase that I call redemption, where. Um, she kind of redeemed herself for herself, um, mm-hmm. uh, in all kinds of ways, really is quite a powerful, um, not just as an artist, but also someone really active and pushing for social change, um, in, in quite an explicit way.
2: So, you know, as Stefan brought up earlier, you know, there are, other works about Madonna out there, you know, famously Andrew Morton, uh, Randy Taraborelli, but I do feel like, as you brought up earlier as well, that this is, you know, your work is more about the process and how Madonna, you know, starts an era or a phase or a look and then takes it to its natural conclusion. And and that, that's, that's what I want. That's what I always wanted to read. I wasn't really interested in whether she was dating Jimmy Albright, the bodyguard, you know what I mean? It's like nothing, that's neither here nor there. I want to know, um, how Madonna comes up with these melodies and, and her process Mm. in, in, in the studio. So do you think that, you know, I mean, obviously I, you know, this is like a social construct, but I mean, do you think that because she's a woman, she's not given enough credit as uh, as a creator, as, uh, as a viable collaborator, as, yes. you know, as an icon? You know? um,
0: yeah, you know, and that was something I was continually discovering as I was doing my research. So one of the first interviews I did, it was with um, a producer that she worked with um, right back in the days before she got signed. And he said, you know, he 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 absolutely confirmed for me. Um, yeah, she she's a musician. Um, she did it. She did a, a demo tape, and he said she played all the instruments herself. She did mm. all the arrangements herself. She wrote the songs herself. Um, she locked herself in the studio, and she just did that, you know, over over a week, um, and then so many people corroborated that you know they weren't just being nice I could tell you know these are professionals who Mm -hmm. who have got their relationships um, and their reputation on the line so someone like um Andre Crouch who um the gospel choir that sang with um her on like a prayer Mm -hmm. he he said you know he he talked to me quite specifically about it you know We sat down and we went through um, uh, all the bars and she knew, um, she said, wait, 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 can we go back to um, bar 22 where the rhythm goes like this? And she had a very, very precise instructions and and, um, she knew exactly where everything was. Guy Pratt, who, who played bass um, in the sessions, the Like a Prayer session, said similar, a similar thing. She mm-hmm. really had a handle on every single instrument and who was playing what and gave people very precise instructions. So, you know, when, when there is that co-producer credit, that's a proper co-producer credit. You know, she's mm-hmm. not just... Um, uh, I mean, something that she—they all said—is that she's very good with melody lines, and she'll she'll come up with these really good melody lines um, that might appear quite simple, but then when they're put in the whole pop production, they work brilliantly. Um, but also, um, and I think because she's a dancer, she's got that you know really impeccable rhythm and, and timing, and I think that's what Andre Crouch was. Was referring to um, uh, when he was talking about you know her sense of the bars and the time and the rhythm. Um, so yes, that was something that 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 I kept um, uh, uh, coming up with and coming up against, or well, not against. You know, it was a, it was a real plus. And I mean, I have to say, even I, as, as a music writer and someone who's um, worked a long time in the music press a lot of us didn't even know that ourselves.
2: <laughs> um,
0: you know, it, it was as if there'd been this slight um, conspiracy or or maybe just carelessness to not explore that, not investigate that, not kind of give her that credit um, and just sort of talk about her uh, as if it was all the producer's work and, and not really sure. her contribution.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... Not that she did herself a disservice at the very first MTV Video Music Awards, but <laughs> I think when you roll yourself around on the floor in a wedding dress in front of a, you know, Radio City Music Hall audience, people are going to look at that and say, she has no talent. Because yes. in their minds at that time, and sure. probably still today, if a woman yes. is going to roll around on a, on a stage, they think she doesn't have talent because yes. oh, the only or the only thing that she has talent doing is selling her body. and. Yes. So I think even if she was completely musically talented, if she's not out there playing a guitar or strumming on, you know, like playing drums, you know, she's not going to look like she's a credible musician. And
0: And I think, you know, it's interesting uh, talking to people. She's actually quite insecure about her musical talent because she didn't um, have that. Traditional music training, you know, she had the traditional dancers' training, so she's really confident about her dance and mm-hmm. she, the language of dance and the way she expresses herself. Um, but in terms of music, she didn't really have, you know, in the, in like here in the UK, we go through our grades, we do grade one up to grade mm-hmm. nine, and then you're like a proper musician. Um, and I think there's part part of her. Deep down, Maybe she's got a bit of a sense of imposter syndrome and that's mm. why she doesn't foreground the musicianship in interviews. Um, so what, what's quite interesting is, is that musicians and producers do that for her and actually say, you know, I talked to Pat Leonard who said that absolutely she was as much the architect of the Like a Prayer album. It was very much a, a close collaboration between them. Um, so I, I, I do find that very interesting.
2: Yeah that that reminds me of when she first came on David Letterman and performed and she played the guitar for the first time. And oh, with she, don't tell me I was in the audience yeah. for that. Uh, that oh, was one c- excuse, of the, me, Stephen, excuse me, Stefan. Excuse me. It's
1: one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite in person Madonna moments. Uh-huh. I was. I remember when she was playing guitar for that, and I thought, I love that this is the first time she's publicly playing guitar, mm-hmm. and I get to be here. And yeah, yeah. I, I mean, go ahead, Tony. I, I know you're you're gonna say how nervous she was.
2: Yeah, I was noticing. You know, she was equal parts nervous, but equal parts so proud, and I. I remember specifically that moment, because I was like, Madonna's showing us how she is playing the guitar and it's really coming from her heart, but you can also see her hands shaking. And yes. I just—I love yes. those moments of vulnerability because she doesn't want you to see that.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, but she, I mean, again, that's what I enjoy about her is is she is uh, a flesh and blood woman um, and you, you really get a sense of her strength. Um, and, you know, a slight messiness about this person. Mm-hmm. That was another thing I found, you know, when I was doing the book, you know, there were, there, I, con- I was constantly getting these little surprises, like um, uh, her first manager, Camille Barbone, saying how absolutely chaotic Madonna was in those early days. And you was, you, you, you kind of see her as this person who's so together and always so mm-hmm. in control and it got, yeah, control, control. That's the word everyone uses. And yet, actually, in those early days, she really wasn't. You know, it was real yeah. cool. and, um And Camille had to do – was kind of like a mother figure, like, you know, and they used to call her the kid. It's like, you know, what, what time is the kid coming home? And is the kid hungry? And... Um, or- <laughs> <laughs> and she was yeah and and sleeping on people's floors and you know it wasn't just camille who said that there were there were a few um friends and um management figures from that time who who said um yeah it, it, it she did need she did need structure and she was looking for friends and she was looking for people to kind of support her she did need mm. a lot of support in in those days
2: mm. yeah So, Lucy, tell us about the newly updated edition of Like an Icon. I have the the updated edition from 2018, but this is the the one that was released by Day Street Books last September. Um, Can you, you know, tell us, us readers of the first edition, what can we expect in this updated tome, and where and in what formats may we find it? And, and yeah, Yeah. just tell us Um, what points of Madonna's recent life did you choose to focus on?
0: So, um i was looking i was kind of filling in um so uh it was filling in those 10 years between her 50th and her 60th birthday basically mm-hmm. and she went through such intense change um through that through that time, mm-hmm. um, so much so that uh, one thing that really struck me, because this is kind of written from a feminist viewpoint, and I've always, what I've always liked about Madonna is she's never denied that she's a feminist. You know how some female artists get a bit mealy mouthed and a bit, mm-hmm. well, I wouldn't use the word feminist. And Madonna's always been quite ballsy about that. And she, she's, you no, know, no, you know, I'm a strong woman, and and this is what I think, and. Um, and the, there was a real turning point. I think it was 2016, the Billboard Women of the Year yes. Awards. She and called herself a bad feminist.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: well, she kind of, you know, uh, she anticipated that hashtag Me Too movement mm-hmm. um, when she said, you know, I stand before you as a doormat. And you think, oh, my God. And we're all, like, really shocked because we thought it would be um, – Again, it goes back to this idea of control. You know, she was always so famously in control, and then she said in that speech, she just debunked all those yeah. things and said, mm-hmm. "Well, actually, it was really, really hard, and it was a real struggle, and it still is." Um, and the and laying out it quite raw. You know, um, th- th- this is why it was a struggle, and this is why there are double standards, and there's a game for women, and there's a game for men,
2: mm-hmm. and she
0: just really laid it out. And, and I suppose for me, that was, that was the fulcrum around that final section when I was updating the book, is, is kind of looking at that um, and really how she would developed um, as a woman, really stepping into... I mean, she always was um, powerful as a cultural figure, but I got the feeling in those 10 years between her 50th birthday and her 60th birthday, it's like she finally really believed it you know Mm -hmm. that that there was no longer that imposter syndrome she sort of stepped into who she was yes i am an artist actually you know and i have this is my contribution this is what i've done and i'm actually really proud of it um and there was a sense of her um kind of settling into herself and what she stands for and what her what she's fighting for really that that came out very strongly too mm-hmm. so so those are all the things I put in and, and then also looking at her relationship with her family and and her children um, and when I was updating it she was going through that difficult time with Rocco so kind of looking at the impact of that um, and also um, her adoptions and her relationship with Malawi um and kind of moving into just a new phase of her life and, and um, moving to Portugal as well and kind of moving back to Europe really and mm-hmm. that European sensibility.
2: No I, I love that and your book succeeds in showing us what Madonna was like when she was an intrepid young woman and artist you know in New York City. This is my favorite part of the story because there's so many layers to it I mean and mm-hmm. in your book you know there through first-person accounts and your meticulous research, um, it just it just really takes you there and puts mm. you in that time and space. Mm. Um, you mentioned, you know, a few minutes ago that, uh, you know, one revelation that you didn't see coming was, that, you know, when Camille shared with you that Madonna was kind of messy at first. Is there anything else surprising about Madonna that during your sleuthing, you know, you kind of just came across and just couldn't believe it? You know?
0: uh, well, one thing... Um- you know, I really enjoyed because um, I, I, I spent you know because it's funny, isn't it? It's almost like um, before lockdown and after lockdown. You know, <laughs> pandemic, you know? Um, uh, but this is going back a little bit. Um, I spent I spent um, some time in in Detroit, in New York and in LA, um, just, uh, you know, there's no substitute. When you're a biographer, I really think it's important to go to the actual locations Mm -hmm. and spend time there and talk to people. Um, And that was one of the most interesting points was when I was in Detroit and I went to Rochester, that suburb where she grew up, and spent some time. I was lucky enough to hang out with an old school friend of hers who sort of took me around all the old haunts and you know including um parties oh yeah well we had a beer keg party over there and (laughs) (laughs) terrible american accent but um and also going to the football pitch where she used to be a cheerleader um, the high school seeing the catholic church that she used to go to um and um and then meeting um one of her old boyfriends win cooper and this was one of the most surprising things was because i I said, you know, gosh, she was such an alpha female, wasn't she? And he was like, well, no, actually, she, you know, in lots of ways, she was really quite serious and 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 quiet, um, and um, quite bookish. What you're joking? Um, <laughs> but then I thought, you know, in a way, it makes sense. Is that um, there is a lot of shininess on the surface, but actually, if you think about it, um, a lot of her concepts are very. They're, they're deeply thought through, aren't they? Yeah. Know, it, it, whether it's blonde ambition or whether it's the cowgirl in, in music or you know each album has layers, you know layers upon layers mm-hmm. and that comes from time, time spent thinking, reading, researching, looking at art, thinking about ideas, looking at films, that doesn't happen by accident. So no. you know going back to when she was a teenager, she um she was doing a lot of that even then you know her own her own research and it was almost like she was quietly storing away all this information about what Mm -hmm. she wanted to be and do before she kind of let it loose on new york
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah but but
0: that that really surprised me
2: i i always think about You know, Madonna's teenage years when she snuck out of the house to go see David Bowie in Detroit. Like, it just, I can only imagine what was going through her mind and how she took this all in and, and like you said, taking notes, you know, and then storing it away for later.
0: Yeah. A quick study, as um, Camille called her. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so Lucy, I, before, I do want to ask you about your research as uh, speaking of research, I want to ask you about yours, but before, before that, I just wanted to say, will, do you think that you will do another update of the book in another 10 years? Cause I know harkening back to what we were, we were uh, c- applauding the crown. I know that they were, people are wondering if there will be a, a you know, future seasons of the crown. And uh, Peter Morgan had said he would have to be at least 10 years away from something like, you know, Meghan Markle and Harry Yes. in order, in order to sort of see the arc of that story properly, you know, like he, yeah. he has specifically said anything from past is, is good because you, he can see the story a little bit sure. clearer. Sure. Um, do you, I mean, I guess, do you agree with that? Would that be the same thing with Madonna? You know, like maybe by the time she turned 70, yes. you'd be able to see her sixties a little yes. bit easier.
0: Absolutely. I and I would totally agree with him there. And and I'm a great believer in keeping books alive if they have a life and, and validity. Yes. And you know, the reason to do that with Madonna is because she never sits still. You know, she's always mm. working, she's always creating something. Um, and you know, there wouldn't really be a point if she's retired, um, but I can't see her ever retiring, to be honest. Yeah, something something tells me she's going to keep going. Yeah, or she'll always do something cultural um, and something interesting. She's always looking for um, the interesting ideas um, Mm -hmm. and what's happening uh, in art, you know, in terms of change. um, She loves being on that cutting edge there um, and seeking people out who are on that cutting edge
2: yeah I mean there's uh you know I, I specifically think about the the careers of Tina Turner and Cher specifically in you know between their 60s and, and 70s and and there is a lot a lot that Madonna can mine out of this decade you know and and yes
0: you know, yeah mm-hmm. uh, um it was funny you know uh I went to see Madame X um at the Palladium uh it's one of those lovely old theaters London theaters and um it was actually really funny and quite sweet, you know, and you're right there, you know, it's not a big, it's not actually that big. So we were sort of sat and she was right there. Um, And she was quite sweet. You know, she, that was when she had the problems with her knees. Mm -hmm, And, um, and she did a few songs and then she said, Oh, could someone hand me a chair? I need to sit down. (laughs)
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) So she planks herself down on this chair and I I'm just going to talk to you for a while and it was like a a different Madonna you know it was so different from say you know back to Blonde Ambition Tour or the girly show but that's what I like about the way she evolves and she Mm -hmm. and she's not feeling you could tell that she felt comfortable with where she was she wasn't trying to be you know Unjustly, I think people have have said, "Oh, she's not growing old gracefully, and she should, you know, she's she's trying to be young the whole time." But I don't think she is. I really don't think she is. She she um, you know, for that show, um, she was drawing on those kind of Portuguese fado influences. She was drawing on kind of global mm-hmm. beats. Um, she had a very different kind of theatrical presentation. Um. And some really beautiful bits like that um, uh, portrayal of Frozen, where um, he's oh, got yeah. Lola just kind of like she's like the bindi in Lola's forehead. I <laughs> you know, it's yes. an amazing, amazing show. Um, so I'm kind of digressing a bit, but I, I, I think didn't weren't we sort of thinking about how she sort of, she stays relevant and and mm-hmm. um, she's she's still doing really interesting work. Uh, well,
1: I'm, I'm curious as to what sort of goes into your researching for someone like uh, such a public figure as Madonna. Obviously, there's Wikipedia, there's, you know, multiple blog articles and journalist articles. And did you find that there was stuff that was wasn't readily available online? Was there a significant dead end in some stories that you were trying to track down?
0: Um. So I I think my way around a lot of this is, yes, you can you can get some really, really interesting stuff on the internet. And I'm finding that with my Karen Carpenter research, but I'm, I won't say anything about that at the moment. No. But um, <laughs> you can, you know, and you can find things that, um, uh, like, you know, um, obscure radio interviews. <clears throat> radio is great because, you know, when, when um, artists are on tour, Quite frequently, they'll talk to a local radio station, and that might not see the light of day, you know, after it's been broadcast. And um, and that's what I've been doing with Karen Carpenter, and you know, and I have found um, with Madonna, you know, like little known, obscure interviews she might have done in Toronto or um, for a small paper. Um, But actually, where I found the most interesting stuff was in the face-to-face interviews. And you've probably found that with the podcast, is there's no substitute for a proper conversation. Um, And that was always my priority. And it's always been my priority as a journalist, is that's actually how you do research and how you find new information is in conversations with people. Um, Mm -hmm. And quality time, not just email questions, but actually quality time either via then it was more Skype when I was doing it, or literally just being, you know, travelling over there and spending time in Detroit and in Michigan and meeting old school friends from uh, uh, University of Michigan, for instance, and, mm-hmm. um, and 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 just by asking questions, you know, like her ex boyfriend Win. You know, and asking questions like, "Well, so what was it like?" You know, what would you what would you actually do? And he he gave me this lovely painted this lovely picture of him riding around in his car, listening to Ziggy Stardust and smoking a bit of weed. And whoa, Madonna!
2: <laughs> Madonna.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoa!
2: So this is this is an entirely selfish question. Um, you've lived in London for a, you know a long time, and how surprised were you when Madonna decided to move to London? You know, well, I mean, I, this happened after Ray of Light. Uh, I guess she fell in love with it while she was she fell in love with a man too before yeah, Guy Ritchie, yeah. and um, and yeah, she she just stayed for well, for for a bit.
0: <laughs> it didn't surprise me because London was going through a really, you know, that was run Cool Britannia time when yeah. London was going through a real renaissance, and um, uh, there was so much going on: uh, good music, good film, um, good art, and. Um, and it kind of chimes with where she was in in her interests, and um, and obviously working with William Orbit on mm-hmm. Ray of Light would have opened up that whole kind of network of um, mm-hmm. producers and kind of thinking about um, yeah that that production, and um, and she ended up in London. Um, I think you know she's always had an Anglophile side to mm-hmm. her, yeah. And it, it kind of made me laugh a bit when she became the Lady of the Manor, you know, when she married Don yeah. Ritchie. And, <laughs> and, I, and it always felt a little bit like the crown, you know, that she was living a fantasy life there out in Wiltshire. And that was a nice afternoon. I went with a friend of mine who lives in the area and we we actually travelled um, uh, and went to Ashcombe House. We went as, as as near to it as we could and we, we uh-huh. were in the grounds we were a bit naughty we were <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, um, and we actually went past all these um uh little um uh, what do you call it where you keep pheasants and there were all these pheasants kind of being kept obviously we're, we're a guy you know uh <laughs> the, yeah. the game for the shooting um uh and uh you know that that was really interesting getting a sense of you know that part of that part of her life as well i think she liked i think there was something that appealed to her about that um englishness um Mm -hmm. that sort of traditional englishness it's so different really from america isn't it that you know that
2: that oh uh, absolutely i mean if if you look at her country home in new york as opposed to her country estate in england it's it's two separate worlds you know and and i you know i i do remember you know the the photo spread that was in vogue and you know the cecil beaton style yes. photos and, yeah. I, and i you know i thought long. well <laughs> this this is this is almost like a fantasy that most americans have you know and she yeah. kind of made it happen you know <laughs> yeah
0: she did country living and all that yeah, yeah. i think um here we we took it with a pinch of salt because yeah. um it it was it it did read a bit like an American's idea of what Englishness is um, mm-hmm. and sort of slightly ignored, conveniently ignored the way the class system operates here
2: um, right, right. Um, mm-hmm. it's
0: grated with a lot of people um, and uh And I think people weren't that sure about Guy Ritchie. Um, So it it did seem like a temporary thing. So that I, to be honest, I wasn't that surprised when um, she moved back to New York. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, oh, my God, I need to go back home.
1: <laughs> yeah she wanted to she wanted to dip her toes in a little sticky toffee pudding mm-hmm. and then have her have yeah. her, have her yeah. way back to New york yeah.
2: Yeah. no and, and another thing too that i think may have been a factor too is that you know the british tabloids at that time were above and beyond any other you know tabloid yeah, yeah. system in the world so and when when madonna moved to london it went into overdrive Mm -hmm. and i think that her privacy was compromised correct very
0: very and they you know and they were after her children you know Mm -hmm. and that's partly why it all blew up with rocco because the paparazzi were taking Mm -hmm. pictures of him like hanging out on the south bank with skate skateboarders and um you know they just wouldn't leave her alone uh and it's not just her it's it's but they you know that time touch wood. Um, has passed because because of the internet and because now artists and through social media can, to a certain extent, control mm-hmm. um, uh, how they control their own press um, to a degree. So it's taken a lot of that power away from the tabloids. Right.
2: Yeah. Um, Lucy, do you know if she still owns that home? I saw it the last time I was in London, and, and I was surprised by how just, you know, cotidian it looked you know <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: well it's in a very expensive part of london um, yes across okay. from a very posh hotel she, yeah <laughs> so she bought two of those houses they're actually incredibly expensive so that's in mayfair um townhouses really um yeah actually you know quite nice very nice townhouses in inside mm-hmm. i thought she'd sold them Sorry, i can't i don't know for sure but you know, there's that, and then there's that pub, the Punch Bowl, which she and Guy um, bought, which is in Mayfair, mm-hmm. um, which is a very nice pub. Um, me and my husband have been and sat and had, had a drink in there, <laughs> hoping mm-hmm. that someone will walk in. Um, uh, no, but I, I, uh, I, I think, I think she sold those.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, she had to, she had to come up with some money to buy the weekend's house in L.A. So maybe yeah. she maybe she unloaded those
0: <laughs> release release some equity, Yes. yeah, yes,
1: Get, move move some cash around,
0: yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Lucy, yeah.
1: did you? So you said you had gone and seen Madame X, and I know mm. you said you've seen earlier tours. Have you seen? Is there a tour that you've missed? Have you have you seen all of her tours?
0: Um, I confess that I. Uh, because I had very young children at the time, I missed MDNA and I missed Rebel Heart. Um, uh, okay. You know how sometimes you are in a very hectic phase when you've got small children um, yes. and it's hard to get babysitters and kind of keep up? Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sad that I missed those. But then um, it more than made up for it to see Madame X and to be there sure. um, and to be so close to the stage. and. It was, it was a lovely atmosphere, actually, really lovely mm-hmm. atmosphere. Um, and, you know, I kind of felt that towards, you know, by Rebel Heart, it had got a little impersonal and um, songwriting teams, you know, rather mm-hmm. than you know, I'm kind of a bit old school um, in that I think – Often artists' best work is when they are one-to-one with a producer in the studio. And I actually think that's how Madonna works best and that she always found it slightly bewildering doing this songwriting by committee. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not really her. Um, Yeah,
1: I I would love if she would lock herself in a room with a producer and bang out another
0: album in two weeks. Yes, yes. But, I, you know, I think that's why the tracks on Madame X to me that are the strongest are the ones she did with Mairway because she she kind of was doing that. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But I think younger, maybe younger artist producers and some of the hip-hop producers she was working with, they prefer the more team-building approach to it um, and assembling beats in quite a different way. They just have quite different practices. Um, And I think she likes to try that, but intrinsically... Um, she, she's about traditional song, you know, Mm -hmm. at its core. Um, she loves innovative production, but she loves a song that swings and has a real tune. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, that will always be her priority.
1: Yeah. And well, and one other thing, so I'm sure you're aware she's working on a biopic about her life. Uh, what do you think uh, she might choose to focus on as a plot for that movie? Um, you know, because you've sort of already written uh, a biography about her life. And do you think she might follow the same plot? Or uh,
0: My sense is um, that she's focusing a lot on the early New York days um, uh, and up to Desperately Seeking Susan um, because that is such a strong story. Um, and it, and it um, charts such an important pivotal time in terms of popular music and also the part that New York played in that, uh, the New York um, dance scene and dance interior and that whole freestyle club thing and Harlem clothing mm-hmm. scene. Um, I think that will be a, a really important part of it. Um you know, with a biopic, the most successful ones are often ones that concentrate on a particular era rather than tell the entire story. So it wouldn't surprise me if um, they kind of stop around, um, uh, you know, maybe it'd be interesting to see if they, they do uh, her meeting Sean Penn um, mm-hmm. and getting married to Sean Penn. Um, and how and if they do the sex book, you see, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Because there's so many yes. phases. You know, this is actually, see, they should do a, a, a crown. You know, the crown. I, as the so country.
1: many fans have said that they should scrap a movie and do a crown-style like yes. series about her, because it actually the really? way her life is. It could, it actually, you could do eighties, nineties. 2000, 2010, 2010, 2020. I mean, it it just would be four seasons right there.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. I think it's quite interesting as well. You know, I'd I'd like to know your thoughts on the the screenwriters that she's been working with. And, um, you know, I thought it's very interesting, that choice of Diablo Cody, you know, who uh, uh, wrote Juno um, Mm -hmm. and... They worked on a script together, but now there's a new screenwriter she's working with, Erin Wilson, um, who's older, and it does make you wonder, you know, whether not that it's a troubled project. I'm sure it isn't, but you know, because there's so many different aspects that that you can put into um, a a film like that, um, you know, it, it must be hard to agree. And, also, and then it's got to go through Universal as well. Universal have got to say, yes, this, this film works and we're going to put everything behind it.
1: Yeah, I think uh, from what we've heard... The first draft that they turned in, Diablo Cody and Madonna, the, that first draft, Universal pushed back on it and wanted some changes. I yeah. also think that maybe Madonna and Diablo Cody didn't have the best working relationship. And well, I-, I
0: did wonder that because, you know, uh, you, you look at the little videos <laughs> that went up on, <laughs> um, you know, on Twitter and uh, Diablo Cody just seemed to be really uncomfortable a lot of the time. Like, can we just get on with some work?
2: Yeah. How she is.
0: <laughs> you, know, you just have to go with it. You just have to go with it. Um, uh, because my sense of you know, talking to um, musicians and collaborators is, you know, Madonna has does have a whole whimsical side to her. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to go with that. You can't you can't fight that, you can't kind of yeah. control that. That's the whole point. You can't control that. So you have to sort of let that. You have to kind of go with it.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Diablo Cody reminded me of if you've ever been on like a booze cruise where like, you know, it's it's a boat and you go like you go around the island for three hours and you're just stuck with a group of people (laughs) drinking for those three hours. That's what Diablo Cody reminded me of in that where it's like she realized after the boat left the port that she was now stuck on the boat for three hours with Madonna. And she had to like, just stay with it. And it was like th- some, cause sometimes the look of horror on her face I was know. like, what have I gotten myself into? With this?
0: Like, oh, can we get down to work? We've only done one page today. Can we do another page please? <laughs>
2: I always thought that the Madame X perfume had something to do with it, but that's just me. (laughs) So, Lucy, um, I wanted to ask you about um, the other subjects that you've written about, uh, Dusty Springfield and Annie Lennox, two very important female figures in the 20th century, you know, Dusty for, you know, have the middle and you know annie mm. kind of took over the the last part mm. in what ways do you think these artists in addition to madonna how they've inspired and informed each other artistically i know that um you know madonna definitely has been informed by dusty and, and
0: mm. Mm. so i think with dusty um uh again uh, you know similar they they all um work in kind of similar ways um uh really uh inspired by uh black music uh, blues soul yeah. music um and and bring that to the center of their work um and all those three artists um uh have such an ear for melody and kind of delivering um a powerful and passionate narrative about who they are um and each of them Um, had a really strong visual identity as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And and with Madonna, it's it's clear, you know, with all all the the videos. And the same with Annie Lennox, you know, she... Um, would play with all these different personas right from Sweet Dreams and The Man in a Suit to The mm-hmm. Angel um, to um, – uh, or, or pre-that when she was doing punk and, and she was doing like a punk version of um, um, Dusty Springfield's I Only Want to Be With You. Um, mm-hmm. So there's, there's that side. And then um, with Dusty, um, she was a pioneer um, in terms of LGBT issues and yeah. obviously being gay and kind of finding ways to sneak in that gay sensibility in, in terms of, you know, maybe sometimes in interviews or um, in the way that she, um, the kind of music that she sang and kind of doing mm-hmm. disco at a time when gay liberation was just emerging. Um, so, yes, in, each mm-hmm. of them in their own way has, has, has kind of pushed through boundaries and, and um, made quite powerful statements about, you know, what it is to be a woman um, mm-hmm. at a particular time.
2: Lucy, do you know, do you happen to know the backstory of how Madonna came in to sing on Annie Lennox's single, Sing, and ended up taking over an entire verse?
0: <laughs> um uh, I don't I don't um it, it's interesting though isn't it because Annie yeah. Lennox, Annie Lennox was not a big fan for for quite a while because if you think about it there's such different personalities I mean mm-hmm. you know there's Annie Lennox is kind of quite ice blue scots um she's not doer, but you know she she's she's quite serious sometimes Yeah um and not frivolous and and has always rejected that big commercial pop world but I think she um, has come round to understanding um, Madonna's power as a performer as an an artist Mm -hmm. and I think they found common ground there because because Annie has always come from that place as an artist, as a conceptual artist and I think And also I think the thing is, as you get older, you know, that's part of maturity, isn't it? It's realising that you're both on the same side, really. Sure. Um, Well, it's um, the
1: same. I've read that about Tracy Thorne. I mean, from Everything But The Girl, you know, Tracy Thorne had said, you know, when Madonna had first come out on the scene, she totally disregarded her and didn't look at her as a legitimate artist. And then, like... 30 years later, we sort of came to and realised, oh, my God, why haven't I been paying attention to what Mm -hmm. she's been doing just as a female in the music industry? That's
0: right. That's right. And funny enough, you should mention Tracy Thorne. She was sat next to me when we went to see Madame X.
2: England.
0: Oh, nice! <laughs> yeah, so that was really nice. We had quite a laugh about that. We both had very glittery tops on, and we 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 hadn't planned that before we went. And we said, "Oh, it's obviously something about Madonna that we felt inspired to wear glittery tops."
1: <laughs> oh, I love it! Hey, you got a, a little
2: sparkle, never hurts at a Madonna. Mm-hmm. Right? No,
0: exactly, exactly. Yeah.
2: Lucy, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Shebop, which is you know started out as a book, and it became, I mean. <laughs> God, for lack of a better word, like a, a movement. I mean, so it, it started out as a book. I mean, you know, and, and I'm only guessing that, you know, because you came from, uh, you know, a punk music background with your uh, super, super famous bands, Catholic Girls, <laughs> <laughs> So so yeah so tell us a little bit about the Sheepot project uh, Ooh, the definitive history yeah. of women in pop rock and soul and its journey from book to exhibit at the National Portrait Gallery in London to a Radio 2 documentary series and there's a sequel I mean what have you
0: Yeah so so basically in the early 90s um I mean, gosh, it, it even goes back to the 80s when I was working for NME, New Musical Express, and um, mm. it was my first job as a music writer, and I felt that women weren't getting the attention they deserved, and, um, mm. and they weren't. Um, so I kind of I was on a one-woman mission, and I just thought, well, I'm going to interview female artists as often as I can um, to plug that gap. Um, and then after a while, I'd built up quite a lot of interviews, um, And I happened to meet an editor from Penguin who said, "Oh, why don't you put all that in a book and write a history, Um, a history of women in popular music?" And I thought, "Oh, yeah, you know, it hasn't been done, so let's do it." Um, So that 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 was the early '90s, and that what that's what set me off on that journey of tracking people down. You know, in the same way that I have with the other books, is again, it's those conversations, those one-to-one conversations. And what I feel proud of about Shebop is. It's now in its fourth edition, and you know, like we were saying about Madonna like an icon, there will probably be one when she's 70. And with Shebop, I keep thinking, right, that really is the last one. But then, <laughs> but then stuff happens, and there's more interesting stuff that happens. And um, so, we had our Silver Jubilee um, uh, 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 version that came out last September with an mm-hmm. extra chapter. And it is like um, she has a life of her own. I now talk about her as she, and yeah. and she is like a repository of oral history. She's all these women that have contributed to it. So women that have since passed away, like Nina Simone or um, oh. Eartha Kitt or Miriam McCaber, um, women whose stories, um, yes, they've been recorded elsewhere, but not in the way, not in the way the conversation that. I had with them uh, in, right. in the whole context of how um, uh, women's women um, in pop music kind of developed their sound and their style um, and how they saw themselves within that, their own contribution to that. you know that's what was fascinating to me. Um, but not just the big names. it was also the women behind the scenes. You know, early in A and R women, or early women in production, because I think mm-hmm. that's just as important to look at the infrastructure mm-hmm. and look, look at what's behind that sure. as well.
2: Oh, brilliant, um, Stefan, I think it might be time for my favorite part of the show. I wow.
1: uh, think you, I think you are <laughs> correct, Tony. I think it's time, uh, time to give Lucy O'Brien a little bit of the lightning round. So, Lucy, for all of our guests here on the show, we always ask a quick rapid fire. It's just off the top of your head, answers wherever you're at in your Madonna journey today. Favorite Madonna song?
0: Uh, Mad Girl.
1: Oh, nice, good, good call. Favorite Madonna music video?
0: Frozen, always Frozen. Mm.
1: Favorite Madonna tour?
0: Blonde Ambition. Mm-hmm. Blonde Ambition. Favorite, yeah,
1: yeah, you can't go wrong. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, also oh, on that sub 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 question, Blonde Ambition, are you? Ponytail or curls?
0: Oh, ponytail. Ponytail. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Super <laughs> iconic. Uh, favorite Madonna movie?
0: Desperately Seeking Susan. Yeah. Uh,
1: favorite Madonna look? And that could be from a photo shoot, a music video, a tour, in person? Uh,
0: the Gautier pink corset. Oh. The Blonde Ambition Tour, you know, the. Oh, yeah, the yeah. Bar. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And if you had Madonna in the room with you right now what's a question you would ask her
0: Oh gosh. Oh. That's a really good question. Um I, w- I would say how's it going with the biopic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it be so mundane, but I would I'd be like wow, how are you finding how are you finding it? You know, uh, what stories do you, do you want to tell and mm-hmm. um, and how do you feel your life should be represented? Um, it, it's a difficult, but it's kind of like writing a memoir, isn't it? But what mm-hmm, you're doing yeah. is you're you're making a film, and it's it's a film memoir. So that's my i i, I i'd start giving her advice, and I'd say, yeah, you should think of it like <laughs> an, article, you know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah.
2: Lucy, we are so happy that you joined us today. We loved this conversation. It just went in so many directions and and I'm super grateful for your presence. Yeah, I feel here. like we
1: could keep talking and talking for oh, ages, but I know you, you you got some writing to do. I know you've you've got a yeah. book to write.
2: And you know, when when you get closer to publication for Karen Carpenter, please come back and we'll talk about that.
0: We'd love to. You know, we'd love I would to. love to.
2: But yeah, let everyone know where they can find you on social media and also where your books can be purchased.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, um, all my books. Um, Amazon is uh, great. You can also uh click into my website lucyobrien.co.uk. Um, I'm on um uh 61 on Instagram and at Lucy O'Brien tweet on Twitter. Mm, perfect. Oh, yeah.
2: And you can find us meaning me and Stefan, on Instagram and Twitter at MLBC Podcast. Please give us a five-star review, like and subscribe to the podcast and share it with your fellow Madonna fan friends. You can also donate to the podcast on Venmo at MLBC Podcast, as well as our patron page patron.podbean.com forward slash MLBC Podcast. So until next time... Tony, you say
1: that so well, Tony. It rolls (laughs) right off your tongue. So eloquent.
2: Well, I'll let you guys say goodbye, but until next time, get up and do your thing thanks lucy thanks for joining us
0: bye